So the reading this morning is, is from Psalm uh, 61. Hear my cry, O God. Listen to my prayer. From the ends of the earth I will call to you. I call as my heart grows faint. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. For you have been my refuge, a strong tower against the foe. I long to dwell in your tent forever and take refuge in the shelter of your wings. For you, God, have heard my vows. You have given me the heritage of those who fear your name. Increase the days of the king's life, his years for many generations. May may he be enthroned in God's presence forever. Appoint your love and faithfulness to protect him. Then I will ever sing in praise of your name and fulfill my vows day after day. Thank you. Is this microphone yep. part of it? Yeah, right. just Right, well good morning everyone. It's a real privilege to um, have this opportunity to um, share with you this morning. And that psalm is actually going to speak um, into what I, I'm going to talk to, um, with you about this morning. And I'll, I'll, um, that will become obvious as I... Um, uh, develop what I'm going to say and I want to start off with a little story that um, Augustine tells of um, a vision that he had and my message today first of all is all about friendship with God so Augustine tells of a vision of seeing a little boy at a beach who was scooping up the ocean thimblefoot thimbleful by thimbleful and emptying it out on the sand. This is a true story. It's actually a vision Augustine had. And then he sees an angel who tells this little boy that he will have emptied out the entire ocean long before Augustine has exhausted what can be said about God. And as the author Kreeft, who's an American philosopher and Christian, writes, God's love is literally infinite. It is the shoreless sea we are destined to swim in, surf in, and grow in forever. And as someone who is passionate about the sea and the ocean, this really spoke to me about Um, swimming in God's ocean and just the infiniteness of God's love and I guess that's where I want to focus on today so I want to take you back to New Year 2022 as January the 1st approached I balked at once again making New Year's resolutions which I always fail to keep and so instead I resolved to spend this year deepening my understanding of God 
I chose two specific areas and I thought quite a bit about this. Firstly, what does friendship with God really mean? And secondly, what can godly wisdom look like in my life this year? And not surprisingly, I soon found that the two are very closely linked. Now, I've only just begun dipping my toes into God's shoreless sea. Like the little boy in Augustine's vision, I barely emptied a few thimblefuls of sand at my feet. But this morning, I thought I'd share a few grains of the discoveries I am making about what it means to be friends with God, whose love is indeed infinite. Now the three insights I'd like to share this morning are firstly, the nature of the two-way dynamic that this friendship involves. Secondly, that old chestnut obedience. And thirdly, friendship with a triune God. So, my first revelation has been just how deeply God values and desires this two-way friendship with him. As David states in Psalm 25, verse 14, the friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him, and he makes known to them his covenant. And in Proverbs 18, verse 24, a man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. So that tells us that friendship with God is something even more elemental than flesh and blood. If we honour God and order our lives in accordance with his will, so he will take us into his confidence as his friends. And the essence of any true friendship is intimacy, confiding of secrets, and the provision of counsel and wise advice. So I guess that's where I realised that friendship and wisdom really go hand in hand. They're two sides of the same coin. And this immediately has taken me this year much more deeply into prayer and scripture and especially into the Psalms. As we encounter life's various storms and life throws out unexpected curveballs, we need the confidence of a friendship with God that can hold fast, where the anchors remain firmly grounded. I want a friendship that's not just a fair weather friendship. As the psalmist in Psalm 61 says, I long to dwell in your tent forever and take refuge in the shelter of your wings. I've had a pretty um, amazing life. I haven't really encountered any real tragedies and I've always thought I want to have a friendship that can really hold fast when times get really tough. And God's shown me this year that only by being deeply grounded in his word that is his act of power, that I can experience that two-way dynamic communication. 
And so friendships require time, commitment and investment. And I think we all know that how we spend our time reflects what we value. I recently finished reading the autobiography of Jennifer Rhys Larkin. Now she's a renowned British Christian writer and speaker. And she came from a home of gifted parents. She had a flourishing ministry with her husband and they raised six young children. But for eight years she was immobilised in a wheelchair having been struck with viral encephalitis before she was actually miraculously healed. And those eight years were punctuated with some pretty severe depression. As bound in a wheelchair, her active life and ministry were stripped from her. Yet she writes that the most important thing she learned in those years of her illness was God telling her really clearly that lots of people are willing to do things for me, but not many are willing to be my friends. And that is what I want most of all. And I guess that's what I'm learning this year, is that God values us not for what we can achieve and do for him, but for ourselves and for our company. And when I reflect on my own Christian journey over the years, I actually lament for my first love. For when all I wanted was to shed every other distraction of life and to draw aside with God, to seek his face, to relish time with him. And over the years, as we add layer upon layer of responsibility, structure, and complexity to our lives, it is just so easy to trade busyness and frenetic achievement and activity for close community intimacy and communion with God. So I guess that's been one really big thing that God showed me this year, is just to lay aside some of that activity and enjoy friendship with him, with just spending more time with him. Now, I've already referred to the fact that challenge and adversity is part of this life. And a robust and intimate friendship is only strengthened often by challenge and adversity. And so too, our friendship with God reaches new depths as we face some of life's toughest tests. And I know that a lot of us here at Abide have been through some of those tests. And can we be sufficiently honest and raw with God to build that deeper intimacy with him? And you know, what I've realized in reading scripture is that God can handle us. And I've been dipping into the book of Job recently, and I'm reminded how he rails with anger at God at his relentless losses and tragedies. His three friends, while trying to provide comfort and consolation, ultimately discourage and depress him. Ultimately, Job's relationship with God is richer and stronger through his suffering. 
He draws a fresh dependence on God. And as one writer says, Job is in a true relationship to God by the end of it, as the three friends are not. Job's relationship is one of heart and soul, a life or death passion. God is infinite love, and the opposite of love is not hate, but indifference. Job's love for God is infected with hate, but the three friends' love for God is infected with indifference. Job stays married to God and throws dishes at him. The three friends have a polite non-marriage with separate bedrooms and separate holidays. The family that fights together stays together. Probably one of my biggest motivations for this year was to explore what it means to have a more passionate, dynamic friendship with God and to avoid the ever-present threat of a lukewarm friendship. So secondly, if my first revelation was God's desire for relationship with me, the second was that old chestnut of obedience. The centrality of obedience in this friendship project. John 15, Jesus reminds us, you are my friends if you do what I command. In Psalm 66 verse 18, if I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. Now as humans, we're created to have a spiritual dimension in our lives. And yet many today look for a spiritual reality that offers connection, inspiration to something divine. We live in a really spiritual age actually. We want love, joy, peace. But at the same time, we want it on our own terms. We will still want to be in charge. But it's actually only biblical friendship with God that gives a commitment to the discipline of discipleship, community, sacrifice and truth that will actually satisfy the deep spiritual hunger of our soul. Now to be really honest, when I set out on this journey of fostering my friendship with God in January, I think subconsciously I assumed that the experiential, emotional element would probably be the most significant. I imagine going on long walks and having the kind of touchy-feely experience. And we do live in an emotionally saturated culture where feelings and emotions are kind of encouraged to be the truth. But can we not overplay the emotional side of our relationship with God at the expense of the sometimes outdated idea of obedience? Tim Keller tells the following true story, which illustrates this quite well, I think. He tells the story of a, little, a friend's little brother called Tommy, who was raised in a Christian home. Now, Tommy was taught to always put away his toys once he'd finished playing with them. And on this particular afternoon, he had scattered his toys all over the floor 
And then it came time for his music lesson to start. So Tommy raced into the music room next door to take his place at the piano and begin practicing his music pieces without taking the time to tidy away his toys. Next minute, Mum walks into the playroom and seeing the wreckage of toys on the floor, begins to scold Tommy. Now Tommy was busy practicing his pieces, which in those days were actually hymns. Now Tommy, you have left your toys all over the floor. But Mum, Tommy responded, I'm singing praise to Jesus. To which Mum replied, It's no use singing praise to Jesus when you're being disobedient. And I think this kind of illustrates that contemporary church culture has often endorsed this idea that to meet God face to face is merely through an emotional experience. We often expect to receive the spiritual emotional highs before we deal with disobedience in our lives. So Tommy thought that he could get away with some disobedience as long as he was singing praises to Jesus. And we know that in any human relationship, in any human friendship, if there's some disobedience or there's something between us, we lose our intimacy and our closeness. And I think we know that ourselves, that we can't be intimate with God unless our life is in line and we come to him with clean and obedient hearts. Do you notice that whenever you're in a marriage relationship or any sort of friendship, the more time you live together or spend together, the more alike you become. So it is with God. It's as we obey God, we become more like him. The closer we move to God, the more godly we become. The more we rub off on each other. It's called holiness. And the closer you become, the more transparent, the more secure, the more vulnerable you are to be with God. And just as in any human friendship, the more you know him, the more you can treat God just as he is. You have to allow transparency. You have to let God just be who he is in your life. When we have that posture towards God of openness and submission, we allow him to be who he really is. To let him have his authority in our lives and show us his true essence of love, wisdom and grace. So, I realise that it's God is desperate or really just as motivated to have a friendship with us. That it's about us obeying him before we can have that intimacy. And thirdly and finally, does this really sound presumptuous? 
what can we have in common with the God of the universe to enjoy such an intimate friendship? Tim Keller addresses and answers this pretty convincingly in three ways. He explains that the basis of our friendship with God is what C.S. Lewis calls philos love. Unlike eros love, philos love is a love of friendship. That kind of love that's founded on standing side by side with someone. Looking at the same things together like a kind of you too experience. It's like beginning a friendship and discovering the you two things you enjoy together. The things you have in common. Maybe a love of nature, a passion for art, a unique joy in something special. It's often the foundation of a friendship that will then develop into something much richer. Now Tim Keller argues that we can enter into a philos or you two friendship with God. Firstly, there's the doctrinal basis of a triune God. The three persons, God, the Son and the Holy Spirit. Because the Godhead is a friendship. Love, friendship and communication are the essence of the Trinity. They are the essence of the nature of God. The triune God is a friendship. And secondly, linked to this, is creation. We are image bearers. We are made in the image of that triune God. A triune God who is in essence a friendship. Thus for us, love, relationship, communication with the Godhead are the essence of who we are too. As many pastors who have testified to those and experienced ministering to those on their deathbeds, people who, as they're dying, they don't wish they'd spent more time making money or more time working or more time building houses. The most precious commodity they reflect on in their lives is their relationships, their friendships. Because that's the essence of who they are as humans. That's what God designed for us as human beings to be in his likeness. And thirdly, probably most importantly, is the cross. The cross is surely the one act of redemption, the gigantic cosmic act of friendship, where Jesus lays down his life for his friends. In the incarnation, Jesus becomes human, just like us. In John 15, the greatest act of friendship is to lay down his life for his friends. At Calvary, Jesus, betrayed, cut off from God, 
takes on our lostness, our sin. He identifies totally and fully with us. That must be, has to be, the ultimate U2 moment of history. It is this story of redemption on the cross that is the foundational of our friendship with God. As we meditate on the cross, we see Jesus who made himself absolutely vulnerable. He remained on that cross in the face of all the mockery, scorn and hatred that we deserved. Once we understand that we are saved into a relationship of undeserved grace, we are set free into a friendship where we love because we are unconditionally loved. Indeed, God's love is literally infinite. It is the shoreless sea. We are destined to swim in, surf in and grow in forever. So shall we pray? Lord Jesus, make a designer, creator of the universe. We feel overawed that we can have a friendship, a relationship with you, our maker, our creator that you came down to earth from heaven to show us that you fully human and fully divine entered our world. As we prepare for Easter, help us to remember just the huge sacrifice that you made so that we can know the full and understand the full um, breadth and depth of that friendship with you. We just thank you, Jesus, for who you are in our life. And I pray, Lord, for all of us at Abide, that we would deepen and know our relationship and our love with you more and more as we journey with you through this life. In your precious name, Jesus. Amen. Mm -hmm.